0: Welcome to the Beyond the Game podcast presented by Prep to Prep. Along with Prep to Prep content editor Nate Smith, I am Danny Kata, president and founder of Prep to Prep. Today is the first of our series of podcasts discussing the future of high school football. Later, Prep to Prep Senior Editor Harold Aband and I will be speaking with renowned concussion expert Dr. Javier Cardenas, the director of the Concussion and Brain Injury Center at Barrow Neurological Institute at the Dignity Health St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center in Phoenix. Also in this episode, we will present a roundtable discussion with prominent Bay Area football coaches Patrick Walsh of Serra, Mazi Moyad of Marine Catholic, and Gary Hodling of Rancho Cotati. Nate, as a athletic like director at Heritage High School, you must have a lot on your plate as far as dealing with the uh, coronavirus situation in, for fall sports.
1: You know, that, that's true in one aspect, in the fact that everybody wants to know what's coming. Um, On the other hand, you know, we had a lot on our plate when everything first happened in March and April and and figuring out how we would recognize our seniors uh, who didn't get to play their spring sports through, you know, through April and May. You know, right now it's really slowed down just because there are questions, but at the same time, everybody knows we don't have answers yet. And so there's a lot of hypotheticals, but very little concrete information we can hand out at this moment.
0: Now we're going to be speaking with Branham football coach uh, Steven Johnson a little bit later about some of the preparation that um, that he's taking he's, he's partaking in as the season gets closer. And now we're obviously running into some deadline situations with if we want to get the season started on time. So what, are, what is your advice to football coaches who obviously football is a very preparation heavy sport, and how do they go about getting ready for their season, assuming there is going to be a season and assuming it starts on time if it does start?
1: the hope is that you're not starting completely from scratch when you are allowed to start working out with, with your kids, with your student athletes. And, you know, unfortunately that, that means relying upon student athletes to do what they need to do at home. And we know that that cannot be replicated what, what they need to do within the team setting. So the thing is we need to figure out a a date pushing all the way back where the big thing's going to be acclimation. If we have any coaches who, Think oh we're going to come back and we're going to test their level of conditioning day one. That's going to be the worst possible approach. That's going to place kids in in a place of danger, you know, from day one. It needs to be acclimation, and we need to basically set an acclimation calendar where we could say okay it's going to take us three weeks to get to this point, two three weeks to get to this point, and then two more weeks to get game ready or whatever that looks like. And, and that's going to be the big thing is setting that calendar, you know, seeing really assessing where your kids are at, and then finding a safe way to acclimate them and get them up to game speed and if that means you know we have to you know miss two three weeks of the start of the season or push things back then that's what we need to do to ensure that everybody does have a
0: season. Yeah I mean one of the things that's always been very set with regards to high school sports is this idea of a season starting you know there's the 13th week season in the fall there's the there's a season in the winter and then there's a season in the spring and there's no real overlap you know among the three. I'm i I'm wondering if this situation is going to create some kind of uh, one-time calendar because we have, there's so much uncertainty and obviously we don't want a season to be lost or, or compromised, especially when, with regards to safety. But is that, is that something that's come up at all in your discussions as far as, well, maybe we, cause there's going to be obviously a, if, if for example, football season gets pushed back to say the winter, um, there's, obviously, there's obviously going to be a huge facility question with regards to some of the sports that that, that play in the winter. With you know, you got soccer, you got maybe field hockey like gets pushed back. What are some of the concerns as far as that goes? Is there, has there been much talk about switching seasons or 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 having football kind of overlap? Because obviously football is such an important community sport um, in high school.
1: Well, not only community sport um, for, for athletic departments, obviously a big financial yes. thing as well with what you're bringing at the gate. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk of that about three, four weeks ago um, when we really weren't sure which direction things were going to go. And we were all asked kind of as athletic directors to spitball, you know, which sports could safely transition into, you know, into fit into the winter or the spring uh from the fall. Uh There's a little less dialogue about that right now because we see we're seeing a bigger push. I mean, we see out there San Mateo Unified has said that You know, their football, you know, their football workouts can resume in small groups on June 8th. And we're starting to see that kind of stuff popping up to where we have more hope that there will be a fall season. It might not start on the traditional fall date, especially with games. And so you're right. That may create some overlap as we go towards the winter, because let's say we, you know, let's say for hypothetical sakes, we don't have the state championships at the end because we pushed the entire season back three weeks. Um, And so the section playoffs maybe end where the state playoffs would end. But we're talking about more teams continuing their season later into, you know, November and December, later in November and into December. So we're talking a larger time, larger amount of athletes crossing over, um, you know, between possibly fall and winter sports. Uh, And obviously that means sharing of facilities. Some schools are fortunate where they have separate practice facilities compared to game facilities. A lot of schools are not in that situation. It takes a lot of creative scheduling. Um, If you're talking about volleyball running further into basketball season, football running further into soccer season, that that will take a lot of creative scheduling and a lot of people who will need to be flexible um, if they want to see seasons of sport happen at all.
0: Okay, right now we're joined by Steven Johnson, the second year head, actually just finished the second year head coach at Branham High School in San Jose, uh, finishing a hair, a whisker of winning the first CCS title in school history. Uh, Steven, welcome to Beyond the Game with prep to preps Podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. It's pretty sweet to be able to talk football with somebody. It's been kind of a lockdown situation, so it's nice and like therapeutic to be able to do this, honestly
0: for sure i mean there's there's obviously so much uh preparation that goes on for any coach really in any sport but particularly with football you're dealing with so many players you're dealing with so many different issues in, in logistics um what are some of the things that you've had to kind of juggle as you're trying to figure out you know obviously you can't start the season hit the ground running with no preparation at all what what are some of the things that you're juggling right now as you as you await the final word on when the season's going to start if it starts this uh this fall
2: uh, I would say first and foremost uh, is definitely trying to find that balance with our players as you know, begun transitioning into distance learning and not trying to overburden them with football per se and realizing and accepting the fact that moving the classroom from an actual classroom to, like, the comfort of your home, there's definitely going to be some challenges and distractions. So definitely allowing them to do that transition smoothly without feeling like I had a window of opportunity to, you know, to secretly start doing football stuff like some programs had done. Totally being patient in that in that aspect. And then obviously more than anything, it's not having those authentic uh, repetitions on the field for the spring. We would have been finishing spring ball uh, last Friday. It would have been our 10th day. It would have been good, BBL, you know. But uh, we can't do that. We couldn't do that. So we've been doing Zoom meetings uh, four days a week. traditional groups do their thing with uh, being taught by a different coach, just schematic stuff. But, you know, one of those issues and drawbacks more than anything is not having those actual authentic repetitions, right? Like those things are so invaluable actually acting and doing it legitimately versus, you know, just seeing me draw on huddle or show them flip or some, some clips on huddle. There's only so much they can get out of it. And I'm noticing with our guys that the retention rate is a lot lower than if I was on the field with them or if we were on the field with them. And they're doing it every day for two hours a day. You definitely see the changes, and that's a little bit of an issue. Um, Other than that, I would say at first it was getting our our, our new coaches cleared. Those that don't know, we recently are planning on rolling out a freshman team this year for the first time. And since 2006 – or no, 2008 yeah 2006 and um there's definitely a process without hiring coaches and such and with COVID shutting things down I was in the process of getting coaches fingerprinted and cleared through the district and so the minute I shut down I have coaches who are kind of in a limbo and said well shoot hopefully we can get you fingerprinted and cleared and improved by our AD before you get on the field so it was always like oh man is it gonna happen when's it gonna happen so luckily fortunately like we dug that out and a few weeks ago we got Almost all of our coaches already fingerprinted and approved and cleared through our district, which is awesome. I was on one other minor loop or sort of thing I was considering as a coach. And it's like, man, if I don't have these coaches and say for some reason we'd start up June 4th or June 7th, I mean, I'd be really short-handed, short-staffed at that point, which I would have had time had we not have COVID. Right? I would have March, April,
1: and May to go and get that. Steven, on that note, um, you know, you discussed you guys are restarting freshman football. and. But that's a big concern with coaches I talk to everywhere right now is whether or not this lower levels, especially in football, will see will be able to thrive and continue with so many concerns about kids playing football. I mean, we've seen it for numerous other reasons already where teams have dropped freshmen. You're talking about adding it, and now you have the COVID issues in there. Um, have you seen any discussion of that at your school about, you know, is this the right year for us to do this? Or have you heard discussions from other schools who may be on your schedule? who might, you know, maybe not be a reality this coming fall? Both
2: are very good questions.
1: Uh, first, uh, our, our athletic director, Norb
2: Admin, have ever conveyed to me in the last couple months that freshman football uh, was not within the realm of possibility, meaning that we, I, to my understanding, we fully expected this to still happen. I know kind of adding on to that answer is, typically I'd have my guys reporting June 7th, no, June 4th, 5th, yeah, June 7th. And it's a great day, the first day where they're all coming to the classroom, I can secure their email addresses, their parents' email addresses, their phone numbers. And now I can't really do that. And you can't really be in contact legally with incoming eighth graders unless you know they're enrolled at your school. So that's one of the things, as an off-campus coach too, especially, I don't have access to that kind of stuff. And so... I'm really just hoping any e- parent email that comes in, hey, my son is at Dartmouth Middle School. He wants to play football this year. What's the process I go through? And like, I love getting those emails now because it's like, okay, it's the kids or this whoever's contact information and I can get back to them. And hopefully I tell them like, please spread the word to other families. that if you know they're interested in playing football, brand this year. And that one, we do a freshman team this year that no other public school in San Jose has. Uh, and then two is that, The more information I have, the better I can communicate with you all, considering that, you know, I'm not gonna be able to get in contact with you as consistently as I would like, considering, you know, we are in the
1: situation that we're in. Taking about the situation uh we're in, um if you get the clearance, you mentioned June 7th, you would normally be doing that. Obviously that date for you guys is looking like it's gonna be a little later. How do you think that acclimation process is going to look? And obviously, you're going to be in small groups when you start. You're not going to be able to do entire team workouts. Um, yeah. It's going to progress, hopefully, from small groups to the 50 person, you know, from 10 to 50. Hopefully, Actually, but, is this the phase you an- happening?
0: Before you answer that, Stephen, Nate, maybe you can speak a little bit to the phases that that we're talking about. Because we're, you know, like, like everything else in society these days, we, we're we talking about phases and phase one and phase two and, and how, how the phases sort of relate to high school sports reopening so was, full, full, you know, full tilt. Yeah.
1: That's been one of the big things I've been talking to my coaches about as an athletic director has been, you know, okay, the NFHS, you know, put out the, their, their guidelines from their sports medicine advisory committee. And ultimately though, it's still on every school district and every local County to decide how they're going to do that. But we yeah. look at things progressing from, okay, you know, 10 people, groups of 10 outdoors to, okay, now we can groups to groups of 10 indoors and outdoors. Now we can, then we can hopefully go to groups of 50, outdoors but the big thing is we keep hearing is even when it's groups of 50 we still want to see that social distancing and the big thing the, even bigger than that is we're going to have to have some protocols in place even when we start with these groups of 10 for hygiene sanitizing disinfecting and our student athletes are going to have to understand them our coaches are going to have to understand them one of the things that i've told my head football coach and actually all my fall head coaches is when you go over that with your coaches when you go over that with your student athletes, it needs to be in a written, documented practice plan. I need to have a copy of that as the athletic director. And you need to have basically attendance taken or they're signing off saying, yes, I was there this day. I understand this presentation. I understand these protocols for hygiene, disinfecting, sanitizing um, as we move forward. And, and, and then there's the one big question that we don't really have answers on yet, which is what are we going to do if somebody becomes sick in, in our community? And how are we going to handle that? And I think it's still going to be a while before we get that answer. But we talk about the phases that the 10 people out, small groups of 10 outdoors, 10 outdoors and indoors, and then progressing to 50 outdoors and then, you know, then 50 indoors. And really beyond that, there's not a whole lot of, um, you know, guidelines other than keeping the social distancing intact, um, you know, until we reach that fourth, you know, fourth slash fifth, depending on who you talk to, you know, final stage where we're pretty much cleared as a community. Yeah, which question should I answer for? you still want to rattle off? The question. <laughs> Sorry, we well, what's your
2: what's your I, what's, your, I, I what's, your,
0: what's your approach with the phases, Stephen? I mean, you 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 obviously you're getting word of this stuff as a fall coach. You're hearing about these like phase one is is this, and how are you incorporating that into your practice plan? I mean, really, right
2: now, more than anything, uh, there's 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 like there's this fine sort of I don't know how to describe it, but. Those the contingency plans that need to be in place that we're looking at from like the non-health related aspect, like as coaches where it comes to like install and scheme and fundamentals and physical fitness to be like, you know, safely on the field and returning their safely without, you know, burning them out or anything of that nature or potentially putting them in danger. So there's a whole lot of contingency plans we're working on in place unrelated to COVID stuff specifically, uh, but as related to the the phase of stuff, it's a unique challenge, of course, for one, but for two, I mean, first and foremost, I need to just make sure I'm transparent on the same page with all my coaches, but in terms of like deliberately planning that stuff out, um, we're really just waiting for the green light and seeing everything be officially sort of announced before we start really hitting the ground running and meeting as a staff to talk about those things and what they're gonna look like. Um, I know some things I imagine it's like when it comes to water, it's like kids bringing their own water for sure. Like we're obviously we'll have maybe like a handful where they're sanitized and clean before and after practice for kids to have to have that water. But they should definitely bring in their own water. Um, when it comes to any sort of equipment that we're using, either the same groups using the same equipment repeatedly or the more likelier scenario is that we're sanitizing and cleaning everything after practice as well. Um in terms of social distancing, as you know, football is a high risk sport when it comes to that stuff. And I mean, that's sort of like I guess the oxymoron with it is you want us to maintain social distancing, but the game's played in some, in some aspects in a close proximity, like, i.e., the offensive line, defensive line play. It's really hard to, you know, teach, emulate, and not only teach, but teach safe, proper technique. Uh, when you have the socially distance, so, I'm really curious that sort of what other coaches have thought of going about doing that. And to me, that's a humongous conundrum because everything, every other position, I would argue, you can kind of teach social distance proof. It's kind of a social distance proof position. But I would say line play as a whole is almost unavoidably can be socially distanced. Uh, so, I'm really curious what other coaches have. Obviously, the, the one in like logical one is someone's holding a bag out and then someone striking. And obviously, hopefully, there's like a four to six feet social distance separation with that, honestly. But realistically, it's going to be really interesting and tough to see how we navigate the challenges when it comes to that specific uh, portion of the game of football. Um, Outside of
1: that, go ahead,
2: though. If I'm an
1: offensive coordinator, I'm thinking it's a great year to utilize those – Texas Tech-type splits on my offensive line. And, you know, let's get three, four, five feet between each of them and, and try to get that D-line to spread out with us. I, I'm not sure if it's a great year for the double-wing guys. <laughs>
2: it's definitely not a good year for the double-wing guys, for sure. We're so a no-huddle team, though, so it, we don't have to huddle up, which is good. Sorry, that helps
0: Nate, us Nate, Nate alluded to it earlier, but have you gotten um, – now, obviously, with, with football has, has had, you know, issues with regards to – it's actually been kind of singled out with regards to concussions and, and, and neurological safety, that sort of issue. Yeah. But um, so now you have this, this, this COVID situation coming up. Have you had any concerns from parents already uh, sort of worried about how this is all going to play out or maybe the parents who are a little bit on the fence with football anyways um, that are kind of like, Oh, forget it now with regard, you know, this is, this is the last straw as far as I'm concerned, even though it's got nothing to do with football necessarily. And if, and there's a, there's a, there's a strong enough argument to say that football has maybe been unfairly singled out even with the neurological stuff. But having said that, uh, have you have you heard any kind of pushback at all about I just thought I'm not really comfortable with, uh, with, with, my, with my son playing football during this time?
2: uh interesting uh in our community specifically i personally have not received uh, any emails or calls from parents regarding their sort of hesitation. i look at it like this and i was thinking about this a couple months ago when it all hit at a booster meeting actually that danny wasn't at uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> it was pretty much this i think like there's two sort of ways parents are going to look at this they're going to be one's going to be I'm an at-risk adult or someone living with me is. Therefore, I don't want my kid to run the chance of it. And there's no way he's playing sports this year or until this stuff sort of dissipates, if you want to call it that. Or well, there's another look at it where parents might be, I'm so sick and tired of my kids being home. They're driving me crazy. Football wins, football start? I need to get them out of the house as soon as possible because these kids are driving me nuts. So I've definitely heard, I guess, a little bit of both sides of it. But for the most part, I haven't received legitimate... Uh, concerns from parents and in my Zoom meetings I have with kids, oh well, I don't do them all, I do two a week, all of us do two week. We have like 85 to 90% projected attendance, which to me is phenomenal because I mean, we do them like eight o'clock at night. And uh, I haven't really heard that from typically something like that would be like rumors, right? Some kid would probably say, oh, Jason isn't playing this year because of his parents won't let him because of COVID, right? So I haven't heard any of that sort of clamoring either, although I'm not on campus either, there's no school. So I would i hear that more legitimately or consistently if I was. But, uh, yeah, I haven't really heard anything directly in my community regarding that sort of stuff. I just, again, I look at it as a parent like, I'm so tired of my kid getting the hell out of here or her out of here. Or it's, yeah, there's no not taking the chance. We'll see ultimately when it all unfolds. But it seems like in our community specifically uh, we have players and families who are still more than interested in playing football this year, and even incoming eighth graders, about to be ninth graders, who seem to be interested. I've had about four or five separate emails from parents. I
1: so. would say about the same, Stephen, from from my standpoint as an athletic director. I'm getting a lot more inquiries from people who want to express their opinion or find out how quickly they can get back out there. Yeah. Um, and by the same token, I would also guess that the ones who do not want to come back out would just quietly slip away they're not they're not going to say a whole lot about it Brilliant. um so so i guess it's a double-edged sword there the ones we expect to hear from are the ones who want to be back um yeah valid. You know, we'll see the others as we as we progress along that's valid that makes sense
0: well steven it's been great talking to you uh, good luck on your third season i know you have a you have a you already set the bar pretty high with that second season so th- this is just another challenge for you to uh to to overcome so thanks again for, for being on the show
2: no, thank you for having me. And yeah, it's definitely a tall challenge. We're definitely looking forward to this now. Thank you again, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you.
0: We are joined today by Dr. Harvey Javier Cardenas, the Director of the Concussion and Brain Injury Center at Barrow Neurological Institute at Dignity Health St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center in Phoenix. In 2016, prep to prep documented a visit by Dr. Cardenas to the Bay Area when he conducted a train-the-trainer session on concussion education and prevention at Sequoia Hospital in Redwood City as part of a symposium presented by Dignity Health. Dr. Cardenas, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with prep to prep Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with some fundamental information. Uh, what is a concussion and what are the most common mechanisms for concussion or head injury?
3: Yeah, so you bring up a good point, um, and there, there is a distinction between a head injury or a head impact uh, and a concussion. By definition, you have to have a change in brain function as a result of that head impact in order to uh, warrant a concussion or a mild traumatic brain injury. So the most obvious, is, of course, is the loss of consciousness, but believe it or not, that is not the most common. The most common is a gap in memory. So when we're talking about athletes, what I often hear is, I was running down the field, I was on the court, next thing I know, people are standing around me, right? And so even if it's a brief gap in memory, that constitutes a concussion. You can also have dizziness, change in vision, ringing in the ears, um, that would indicate that there's been a change in brain function.
4: Doctor. How about discussing the difference between acute and repeated head trauma as it relates to the long-term health of athletes?
3: Absolutely. So one of the biggest concerns that we have when it comes to the acute injury is actually having a repeat injury before recovery. And this by far is the most dangerous circumstance, meaning you suffer a concussion, You have yet to recover from that concussion, and then you suffer another head injury. Now, this, of course, can happen, say, in a car accident uh, or, you know, something that is somewhat random. But when it comes to athletics, what we want to make sure is an athlete does not put him or herself in a position to sustain another head injury before they've recovered, Because uh, in rare circumstances, you can have bleeding of the brain, swelling of the brain, death, and disability. This is called second impact syndrome. What we are now seeing, and and where we have shifted from those 2016 discussions to now, is really those repeated head injuries um, that may have normal gaps in time of recovery, but then another concussion, and another concussion, and another concussion. And there, we worry about those long-term effects. We worry that uh, athletes or others might be more susceptible to concussion, that they might take longer to recover from a concussion, or they might have permanent deficits. And last, when it comes to things like chronic traumatic encephalopathy, um, that there are individuals who suffer long-term and distant consequences that result in brain degeneration Uh, years after they've suffered multiple head injuries, and that we are still trying to understand.
0: Doctor, from a risk standpoint, how does football compare with other sports?
3: So football is a collision sport. So a collision sport is one in which you're running into each other on purpose. So other examples are things like ice hockey, uh, as well as men's lacrosse, uh, which is distinct from women's lacrosse. Um, in which you are running to each other on purpose, and that's part of the game, that's part of the competition. Um, This clearly has a greater risk of head injury than, say, a contact sport, in which a lot of contact can happen, but it's not part of the game. You're not tackling into each other or hitting each other to move them out of the way. Um, A Best example is soccer, um, which is clearly a contact sport and has a high risk of head injury, but not as high as something like football. Conversely, there are combat sports, so things like boxing and MMA, where you're intentionally inflicting harm amongst some, uh, against somebody's head, uh, and the intention is to cause a concussion. Those, by far, have a greater risk than even football.
4: So, back in 2016 at the symposium, you were you were talking about training the trainers, and you had talked about safe. We talked about safety recommendations, but as of today, what specific safety recommendations would you make to football programs, both youth and high school?
3: You know, one thing that hasn't changed between 2016 and, and now is, in fact, the utility of the athletic trainer. They are the health care provider who is on the ground. They are the health care provider that not only rehabilitates the athlete when they're injured, but prevents them from injury. Um, They are, if there was one thing that a family, a parent, a student, a coach or an administrator could advocate for, that is having an athletic trainer out at their school for clearly football, but also for other
0: sports. If we're looking at the big picture, and obviously football has has gotten a lot of attention um, going all the way up to the NFL, but when should kids start playing tackle football, if at all?
3: Absolutely, so when it, ta- when it comes to, to tackling, there's been a lot of discussion about when it is appropriate uh, to, to begin tackling. Uh, not too long ago, even, even in my day, there really wasn't an opportunity until high school, and that's when mo- the majority of people enter. Um, when we see younger kids enter, we see a lot of uh, disparities and discrepancies in the weight uh, and size of athletes, and those discrepancies differ as we get to high school, or they they lessen as we get to high school, Um, they're still there. And then you see that even uh, a greater decrease uh, when we get into college and, of course, professionals. We see more equality in skill, speed, weight, height, etc. Fortunately, there are a lot of smart people who are involved in this process that have developed a model for skills training. So it's not so much the age of the athlete or the height or weight of the athlete when they're introduced to the skills associated with football. Um, And there's the USA football has what's called a development model. So this is, there are other development models for say things like gymnastics in which they're introduced to certain skills. And when it comes to football, first basic skills is kind of learning the game. And that can happen at the flag level. And then they can gain more skills and there might be a modified tackle level where there might be, uh, uh, they can wrap up but not uh, take them to the ground or use kind of uh, more stringent flags that are harder to come off. And then of course, moving up to to tackling. Um, This appears to be a a pretty um, uh, ideal process. Um, However, uh, we have yet to see it implemented in its full detail and find out if indeed, we can number one, reduce uh, the risk of injury, all injuries, but especially head injuries, um, and that uh, kids are still successful in their participation.
0: You, you mentioned that hasn't been adopted yet uh, to, your, um, to your knowledge, is that, do you think there's some pushback with, with the, the kind of the staged approach, or is there some other reason that you think?
3: Uh, it's a new process, uh, and so the implementation um, is likely to be gradual. Uh, like we saw with uh, the restrictions on, on contact practice, um, and uh, it, which of course decreased concussion significantly. Um, I think there will be a lot of people who um, have a traditional thought about how the games should be played and practiced and trained. Um, and so there's going to be resistance. Uh, and I think until until it's proven, until there's evidence that this is uh, a, a safer way to do things, um, you're gonna see that. But once and if the evidence comes out, then
4: um, there's likely to be a change. You mentioned uh, you mentioned alternatives such as flag football. Uh, on the first panel of coaches that we're going to have this evening, uh, one of them, is the head coach at a a Catholic school very close to the hospital where you you had the symposium. But he is also the owner and founder of a company called Next Level. And it has flag football is the leading component of it. But he has programs for other sports, too. I mean, flag football is taking off. How do you feel about that as an alternative?
3: Uh, you know, I think that's great. I think it's a great way to introduce the game. It's a great way to play the game. Um, we still see injuries. They're far less. Um, one thing to consider that I had not considered until there was a, a similar symposium at a national level um, called the American Academy of Sport Concussion Conference is there are kids who would traditionally play the role of, of alignment, and they tend to be bigger kids. They tend to be slower kids. And if you look at the game of flag football, it's a fast game. Um, it is designed uh, in many ways for speed. And, and so there is an argument to be made um, that um, sometimes those kids who are bigger uh, and are slower might not have an opportunity at that level at, or participating in that type of game that they would um, in a more traditional uh, tackle football game. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, people, Uh, you know, move to one direction uh, or the other exclusively, but we have to be cognizant um, of the pros and cons of all aspects of play.
0: Well, Dr. Cardenas, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, and best wishes in the future.
4: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
3: Uh, Enjoy the conference today, and, uh,
4: and good luck. Thank you so much.
0: So as promised, Nate and I are joined by Prep2Prep Prep senior editor Harold Abend and three highly successful Bay Area high school football coaches. Patrick Walsh is entering his 20th season as head coach at Sarah High School in San Mateo. His teams have won eight championships in the prestigious West Catholic Athletic League, five Central Coast Section championships, three CIF Northern Regional titles including this past season, and his 2017 team won the CIF State Division 2AA bowl game championship Patrick is also the owner and co-founder of Next Level Sports, a sports program for young kids that includes flag football, boys and girls basketball, girls volleyball, and summer camps. Patrick, welcome on. Thank you, thanks for having me. Uh, Mazi Moyad is entering his 11th season as head coach at Marin Catholic of Kentfield. His overall record of 118 wins and 21 losses is one of the best marks for the first 10 years of any head coach in the history of high school football in California. His teams have gone 62-1 and in the Marin County Athletic League and won the championship all eight years they have been eligible. During his tenure, Marin Catholic has won three North Coast Section championships and one CIF Northern Regional title. Mazzi, welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for having me. Finally, Garrett Quotailing is entering his fourth season at Rancho Cotati High School in Roaner Park. He has amassed a 32-8 and record and last year's team won the North Coast Section Division III championship. He is also the lead instructor of the school's impressive new career in sports academy. Thank you, Garrick, for being on with us today. Appreciate it, thanks for having me. Well, we thank you all so much for joining us. Before we get into some of the long-term safety concerns of the game of football, obviously the uncertainty of the 2020 football season because of the coronavirus pandemic is on all of our minds right now. And I wanted to open the discussion on how you guys go about it from a preparation standpoint. Uh, Patrick, I'll start with you. Um, you know, we were we had the privilege of covering your team uh, in our show, uh, Between the Lines, which is kind of a hard knocks knockoff um, in 2014, and we saw some of the preparation that goes into running a high level program uh, at your level, and we know how, how how important preparation is for 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 all coaches, but in particular football coaches. And just we're wondering, you know, how are you dealing with the situation? Well, I'd love to tell you I'm, I'm dealing with it
5: as an expert, but I'm not. Um, and, and neither is our program. It's, it's very difficult because our core values are love, brotherhood, and humility. And the only way to truly bring those to fruition is through like deep human interaction, whether it's in a chapel or on a football field, practice, track, team dinners. All those things are all cornerstones of things that we do to bring humans closer together. And social distancing and distance learning just run counter to everything that I've ever learned, done, know about not only life, but being a football coach and bringing people together. So it's been very difficult. We've done the Zoom meetings. We've tried to lift the kids' spirits, but at the end of the day, the only way to fix it is to get back in front of one another again.
0: And and Mazi, are you kind of experiencing similar, similar situation?
6: Yeah. Um, you know, I think everybody shares the same concerns. Um, and we have the same challenger opponent in front of us, which is COVID. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing for us is, you know, trying to, you know, stay, stay in touch with our guys and, and keep them up. There's only so much you can do, uh, right now over zoom. Um, but, but the main part is just to make sure everyone's, you know, mental, emotional health is up and, and stay as process-oriented as possible uh, from a distance, you know, and also with the facts or information we get from, from the right sources because there's so much information out there and, and misinformation as well. But when we get something from our county or our diocese you know, guidelines, uh, that's something we're you know, able to share with some of our families and and that sort of gives them you know a little bit more light and some
0: forward to look to. And, and now Gary are you able to, to kind of work backwards from from or do you need a, an end date or a start date in order to work backwards in your preparation or is it more just you you put in what you can or do what you can in the meantime not knowing when the date when day, day one will be?
7: It's you know what honestly I have more questions than answers. Uh, I'm I'm sure, a lot of coaches are that way in all sports right now. Um, I saw this thing coming. You know, in uh, December I was keeping up on the news and was reading about this terrible virus coming out of China. And I started to get spooked back then. I remember, uh, you know, my wife and I stocking up on. You know, we didn't know how bad it was going to get, so we were stocking up on supplies in in December. Um, I was kind of reading the tea leaves on, on what was going to be happening. We have a newborn baby. So, um, that's, that's why uh, I've never had to like, you know, um, for those of you that are parents, um, to, to love something so selflessly, uh, like you've never had before and want to protect and, and, uh, shelter, you know, your, your family is, you know, c- became, uh, my first reaction personally. Um, and that's what I was telling our kids all along. I said, family comes first, be a good, be a good son, be a good daughter, uh, take care of your family first. And then, you know, academics come second. And then if we get to play football, great. If not, you know, there's a bigger picture going on right now. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing all these things on NFHS and, and, and what all these, I mean, it's so wild from state to state. And then when you come to California, county to county, section to section, um, I just, at this time, I have more questions than answers. And I, you know I'm hoping to learn some stuff from you guys today. I
4: think everyone has more questions than answers. That's the norm right now. Um, I'm curious as to what advice you're giving the kids to stay in shape both mentally
6: and physically and we'll go with uh let's go with mozzie first on this one well i mean number one is to stay in touch you know uh guys need to have regular conversations and and not feel isolated um you know and and also to you know for for assistant coaches to check in on the guys on a regular basis um you know i'll touch base with the parents and get a heartbeat there, especially if there's any concerns with any particular guys and, and follow up. So like I said, the mental, emotional health is priority, um, you know, with, with, with this situation because no one's really going anywhere. Um, as far as running and conditioning and staying in shape, um, you know, just, you know, guys that have a workout set at home, uh, we have a full time strength and conditioning coach who, who sends out workouts on a weekly basis. Uh, for guys that have equipment and for guys that don't, you know, to be able to do body weight stuff and, and mix that up. And then we'll, we'll get them some running workouts if they're capable of doing it. Um, they'll, they'll go out and do what they can there. So, um, you know, our, our school's been pretty, pretty tight and consistent. You know, they've been on Zoom and, and stuck with their protocol. I think that's really um, helped the kids, you know, keep some, normal, some sense of normalcy. Uh, they've done a great job with communication, so uh, it sort of helped keep things flowing as, as, much as, as well as much as possible. Early on, there was a lot of anxiety, but because they had a routine and, a, like I said, a process and, and class and accountability every day, that, that sort of helped you know, simmer things down um, and, and, and helped them get their mind off things.
0: Now, Patrick, you mentioned a lot about brotherhood as, as, as a foundation of your football program uh, and how it's diffi- especially difficult during this time. Are there things you can do to to promote that brotherhood and, and that sort of togetherness during a time like this as, as the season is uh, uncertain at this point? You know, I'd say no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I,
5: I don't... Um... I mean, besides everything that Mozzie just mentioned, uh, which is all the things and Step Sarah has taken, we have Bridge Athletics, full-time strength and conditioning coach that sends out weekly workouts. We the only thing we ask the kids to do is to uh, send in their weight once a week. So and be as honest as possible because we can't measure their weight. But we thought, hey, if it, you know, if we have a kid who's a gainer and you know he weighed 160 and we need him to weigh 170 then we'll know he's doing something if we had a kid who's you know the other side of that and he's lost 10 pounds then we know he's doing something so that's the only physical measurement we wanted to take care of the rest of it was just just kind of the mental health of our student athletes and the mental health of our team um, and just doing what we can to communicate through the school communicate information as we get it, uh, as we got it but you know, really, there's no way to do it. I, uh, There's no way, you know, we'll probably get into it later. There's there's no way to play football without playing football. You can't play flag football. You can't put a semi-ear on. You're either playing football or you're not playing football. When it comes to true love and true brotherhood, it can only be done one way, and that's with,
0: with deep human interaction. And Gary, I wanted to ask you also is, you know, with regards to the career in Sports Academy, I mean, you have obviously a lot of other responsibilities in addition to being a football coach. And this is, you know, Harold has been involved with it quite a bit, and it's a huge project. But how does this impact your preparation for that in addition to as a football coach?
7: Yeah, yeah, I wear a lot of hats, you know, um, uh, I mean, you know it's my responsibility to kind of take lead in this uh, brand new careers in Sports Academy, and we were off to a good start. And for those of you who don't know what it is, um, our principal, Louis Gansler, um, we used to teach together at Windsor High School, and they had this academy structure there, so he he brought it over to Rancho, and it's, as ninth graders, they get to uh, apply to one of the academies, and they can put in an academy, and it's fluid, so if they get in something that they don't like, we want them to get in something that sparks their interest, Um, they can move around, so it's fluid, but... Um, The idea is that myself and I teach sports management uh, share the same group of freshman kids with uh, the history and their English teachers who also teach English and history from like a sports context so so they're getting kind of uh, hit from all angles on on the history of sport um, culture the cultural impact of sport and and Harold as our community advisor has done a great job on that but yeah The shift to distance learning has been uh, difficult, especially because uh, how fast and how sudden it was with very little preparation or professional development or training. Um, I was lucky enough to, my class was already set up online to begin with, Uh, been doing that for years, so I got lucky there. All the kids were in the online class already. Uh, I can just imagine what it, would have been like, you know, for some other teachers who, who had not set it up, that must have been tough. Um, and then there's been challenges, you know, you look at kids with technology in their house, you try to get it one to one, one computer or something there they can access their classroom for every, for every student. But you know, a problem is a lot of times you got some large families that, that you know, aren't, aren't very financially fortunate and they got to share uh, one laptop with all the siblings with, you know, maybe they got a middle school brother and elementary school sister, and that is extremely problematic. So um, that's the challenges we've run into. Um, Academically speaking, as far as football goes, um, you know, one thing, uh, you know, I'm doing the Zoom meetings. Uh, I actually, at the beginning of this thing, I made my own, my first YouTube video. Uh, with some help from one of my assistant coaches' daughter, who's you know technology, technologically fluent, so I did a. I'm also the strength and conditioning coach for you know the three programs, but um, I did a bunch of body workout um, uh, stuff in my backyard. I had the dogs come and interrupt it, but you know it was it was good. I got it out to the kids. I we put out a, a workout and we asked that they kind of do it with each other, so. We ask that they Zoom with a friend to hold each other accountable. I think the hardest part for above all else is uh, not, you know, training for something where you don't know, you know, if we're going to play or not. So um, to have that motivation that to see the light at the end of the tunnel, I don't know if a lot of these kids see a light. So um, I'm a glass half, half full type of guy, but I understand that it could be You know extremely difficult in this type of situation motivating yourself um by yourself in isolation not knowing if there's going to be a season or not
1: i I, i'd like to address for a second related to that um mozzie you mentioned earlier the the battling the rumors you know that 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 go everywhere and all the words you guys are hearing it and we look at that just in the last week you know we, we probably all heard obviously up in the northern section you know, there's a district up there that resumed football workouts this week. At the same time, down L.A., we had the district come out and say that they didn't envision any sports other than cross-country and golf happening in the fall. And then a couple days ago, I see San Mateo Unified says that they're going to start workouts second week of June. Patrick, I can only imagine what kind of discussion that sparked around your program because you guys can't go based on what San Mateo Unified has, says has said. But at the same time... It probably leaves some of your other coaches and players going. Wait a second, if they can start this, where do we stand? So I kind of like to ask you, if you, you know, how much is that, you know, twirled in the wind, twirled around you guys, and how much is that left on your plate as far as clarifying information, especially in the last few weeks? Go ahead, Moss. You, you can you can start. Um, well,
6: I think I think it's a. I mean, that's that's a great question, and and Garrett made a good point earlier. Um, in, in saying that, you have all these different sections and all these different counties, uh, with all these different, you know, potential outcomes. Um, so we don't know what's what. Um, you know, I think becoming uh, getting in some group discussions with some with some friends like Patrick, Justin, and and, and several others. Um, you know, we're able to sort of nail it down where in our areas, in our sections, in our counties where do we need to keep our eyes and thoughts our minds and that comes to you know our counties at the end of the day because your county is going to rule or dictate what you can and can't do unless you're a private school your archdiocese is going to fall under that as well um so i think you can minimize and shrink a lot of that noise and discussion if you just know where where to end your eyes and your ears um you know so so you can read and study and and listen um to see what you know the people who who are gonna decide your future for you. Uh, what they have to say, what their guidelines are gonna be.
5: Yeah, and and on that note, kind of as it relates, right off what Mazie's saying, in, in our own county, um, just because you know the San Mateo, San Mateo Unified School District yeah. is gonna is gonna work out in um, their students in certain ways, that doesn't necessarily mean Sarah will or Sarah can because we have different layers um, of reporting. We are an Archdiocesan school like, like uh Marin Catholic is in Sacred Heart, Archbishop Reardon. We also are in a, a, you know, a pretty tight league where our league is communicating to each other about through three different counties in San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara County. There's just so many layers of the onion you have to peel back to get to the center. Um, that I just pray, and I'm hopeful that people keep kids at the center of their decision making. And, and I know they are. And I know that we're all in this business for the same for the same person. It comes down to one kid and one kid's experience through sport, through school, and through through human experience, and that's being lost right now, as we all know. And hopefully, as the people above us are sitting in their rooms, you know, talking about this and thinking about this, they're thinking. What about that one kid who's sitting in their room, scared to death, with anxiety running through his veins, and her, sorry, his and her, and when when am I gonna get back to see my friends again? And um, I just, I mean, at this point, I just pray, and I've, I've and Mozzie knows this, I've, I've waffled between, you know, wanting to be William Wallace, and running through the fields, and guilt flying, and let's go get him, to kind of just, <laughs> Staying in the barn and you know hoping the storm passes. So I don't even know what. Yeah. I, know
4: that. <laughs> <There's>...
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there's no there's no middle ground. Either you're cowering in your in your basement or you're William Wallace. There's no middle ground. Yeah, there <laughs> is no. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of Beyond the Game presented by prep to prep Once again, we would like to thank our guests, Stephen Johnson, Dr. Javier Cardenas, Patrick Walsh, Mazi moyed and Garrick Otayling for joining us. Please remember to subscribe to the prep to prep Beyond the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Also, don't forget to visit us at prep2prep.com and follow us on Twitter at Prep2Prep prep Sports and on Instagram at Prep2Prep. For all of us at Prep to Prep, we thank you for tuning in and make sure to look out for episode two of the Future of High School Football series coming soon.